We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Grooms podcast. This is episode 248 of the pod, a master's megapod. So I think it's only right that we say hello, friends. Matt Rooney, Joe Musso here to break it all down for you. Give you some winning picks, uh, some tails, some fades. However you want to look at us, make sure you're listening because uh, winning tickets are on the way. But first and foremost, Matt Rooney, how the hell are you? I, I have not heard you say Masters Megapod before. I love that. That was nice. That just kind of that was fantastic. Did that just, yeah, that just, that just roll off the you, tongue there for you. That was fantastic. That's a little, little podcasting trick there. If you had Megapod to anything, like immediately a million people yeah. listen to it. Like, it's just, a good point. like make sure that Megapod is in the, in the clickable asset and like the SEO numbers there, like it's going to be everywhere on the internet. 100% the title of this episode is going to be, is going to be Masters Megapod and it's going to have hashtag Megapod and hashtag Masters. That's or and we're okay, gonna, gonna have two million think, views. I think that's the way to do it. I was gonna think do masters, but M but like do M and then in a line off of it, masters in a line horizontal masters and then in a line down megapod, like as like a, a graphic idea, but maybe we're getting maybe we're getting too far. Yeah, we would there. we would need a, a graphics guy then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I can make that happen, but I got. There's also too. like a ten percent chance that Rob hears this and like just decides and to make does board because and he does, does that for us sometimes. With so we're gonna have to. So we will repost the pod as a yeah. uh, throwback Thursday pod next week with when all of our picks hit. Yeah, yeah. There That's some inside podcasting to get things started here on two forty eight. Uh, but Matt Rooney, it is Masters week. The fake birds are chirping. The grass is green. We are. Ready to roll, and most importantly, most notably, the big so cat the big will cat. be on the prowl. Um, he is playing nine more practice holes today, and barring any setback on Wednesday, it is green jacket go on Thursday, 10 I believe, 10 yeah. time. He's with uh, Neiman and who else? Joaquin Neiman and Louis Ustazen. And like, we, we're going to get into it all here, but like, Thoughts and prayers to those two gentlemen uh, and everybody who is going to be swept up in the Tiger undertow this week. Like I was talking about it, name drop here, Michael Breed we had on the show last night. And um, amongst a number of things, he said, you know, it's not just Neiman and uh, and Ustazen who are going to feel this. It's the group in front and the group behind. This is going to be a small town of people moving around in Tiger all week long. And it's really going to suck up not just the storylines, but like – it's going to affect Joaquin Neiman when Tiger has just made a 10-footer and everybody's buzzing and moving to the next hole while Neiman's trying to clean up his par putt for four, from four feet. Like There are things that, that mm-hmm. actually affect these guys, not just the mental aspect of the moment. Um, but it's, it's nothing but good. This, this is nothing but a good thing relative to what we thought a week ago, relative to what we thought two weeks ago, relative to what we thought 14 months ago, um, the conversation not long ago was, man, I hope Tiger can walk and enjoy his kids again. And he is about to put a peg in the ground at Augusta National, a place where he feels he can still win by his own admission, man. Yeah, I mean, and even obviously a year or year, whatever, year plus ago, wait, that's the hope was he can walk again. Even a month ago, we were talking about maybe we'll see him at next year's Masters. And I, mm-hmm. I just think that this turnaround shows the determination and the work, the effort he's kind of put back into getting here. And we talked about it last week. I, 
And I, I, I think I fully admit I was wrong. I, I said there might be some inkling in the back of his head, like worst case scenario is I don't, you know, what, whatever is I, I have to withdraw or whatever. I, I don't, I don't feel great. I don't think that thought is that thought has even entered his head. Mm-hmm. He, he, the way he's talking all week, like he wouldn't be here if he didn't think he was capable of winning the masters. And I'm not saying yeah. he's going to win the masters. He's very likely not going to win the masters, but I, he's going to, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't make the cut. I think he's, unless there's some sort of injury, I, he's going to make the cut. Um, and I expect to fully expect to see him play well. And I, I'm very intrigued to watch his group. I don't think it's going to affect Louis Ustazen because Louis Ustazen has played with he's Tiger, played against Tiger. He's been, he's yeah. been in the situation a bunch and he's experienced with it, but Joaquin Neiman being, you know, kind of a young upstart, uh, he was good last year, but I feel like this year he's kind of starting to take he's his... He's playing some of the best golf of anybody yeah, in the world. He's, he's you playing win very good Riviera, golf. You, you win at Riviera. You win at Riviera. Tiger shakes your hand, hands you a trophy. We circle your name come Masters time, and I yeah. feel like we just scratch I'm interested off. to see how, I'm interested to see how he reacts, because this yeah. is a... I mean, it's it's Like you said, it's a completely different feel when you play with Tiger anywhere, and it's an even more different feel when you play with Tiger at Augusta National. Mm-hmm. And just having him in your group, having that aura around you changes things. I'm, yeah. that, I mean, that's obviously the group to watch tomorrow, but there's, it's not just for Tiger. It's to see, again, not necessarily how Ustazen plays because I think he's just so experienced with it at this point. He's going to go out and play his game and hit the ball straight and probably finish with a top 10 and have a be leading maybe after a round and then fall off like he always does. But I'm interested to see how, with how well Neiman's been playing this year, how he reacts to being in Tiger's group. Uh, I was... I posed this question to our guys last night, and no one really bid on it. But do you think this frees anybody up? I know it's going to have an effect on those immediately around Tiger, but like Brooks hasn't had to answer any questions about bullying Bryson. Rory hasn't had to answer many questions about his career Grand Slam. Spieth hasn't been been brought back to the place of his greatest career failure at twelve, how we always do. Um, nobody's wondering if Rom's going to throw a club into Ray's Creek. Like we are so hyper focused on one guy right now, and I'm not saying that that's wrong because this excitement is so um, pure and it's earned and it's unexpected and it's really, really fun to get jacked up about. But do you think that anyone's going to benefit from just kind of flying under the radar? Because DJ talked about it in his press conference. He's like, I. It was, you know me, I like flying under the radar. I mm-hmm. let Tiger have all the headlines. I just want to go out there and play good golf, and if you guys don't want to talk to me, that's fine. Like, Do you think anyone in particular um, gets a bump from this? You know, Do you think anyone in particular is in a better position than they were a week ago knowing what we know now? I think mentally not a ton because I think I'd be – a lot of the top guys who have played in the Masters, played in the Masters with Tiger, competed against Tiger, like you know your Brooks – like. I don't think they're as much phased by the questions they have to answer answer from the media. I think the one guy maybe might be a John Rahm because mm. he's hasn't had the year that everybody kind of expected him to be to be the no brainer, you know, world number one and kind of after what we saw from him in the Ryder Cup, just kind of go on a tear. And it seems like ever since that little fit he threw about the the amusement park putting or amusement park greens or whatever he said at PGA West, he has been kind of off. Um, I think this might be a week for him where he has the attention taken off him a little bit, and that might be helpful. But other than that, like most of these guys have dealt with it before. I mean, Jordan Spieth is—he's the fact that he's won here helps him shake 
you know, the questions about some of the other misfortunate outings he's yeah. had here. But, like, he's used to those questions by now. Like, he's, he's been here. He's always going to be in his own head, whether he's getting questions asked or not. Sometimes it works for him. Sometimes he doesn't. I think Rory's gotten to the point where I think he's mature. I'm not saying he's going to play well or win this week. I think he will play well, and I think he'll be around, you know, a top 10. But, like, I think he's matured to the point where he's kind of past caring all that much about the questions. And most of the top guys have – kind of been there before i think it's probably yeah. nice like i haven't seen brooks kepka on tv this week um, i'm sure I, if you were watching co- coverage nonstop, you would like he's not a guy you're seeing a ton he probably likes that this is probably yeah. guy I, i'd imagine he probably likes that he's not getting asked a ton of questions I, I, I think I most of those ad- top guys know i want to address a couple things there i disagree on brooks i think brooks loves the spotlight i think he's made okay. that abundantly clear but i do think that this might be a bump for him he's like hey nobody's talking about me well Fair you're not talking about me come sunday i think there's a little of that in brooks um i agree with you about spieth having an invite to the champions dinner makes everything better um yeah. rom i don't know how i feel about rom right now because when you look at whether you want to look at the odds board the leaderboard the official world golf rankings pretty much Everybody in the top ten is playing their best golf right now. He's outside not. of John Rahm. Yeah. He's the odds-on favorite at ten to one. Not really playing great golf, and his his good is better than most people's great. Um, but it's interesting, and I, I'm wondering what game he'll bring and what Rahm he'll bring because we've seen him this season lean a little back into those frustrations and maybe a little bit um, to his true self where he was suppressing those things because he was winning tournaments or not dealing, having to deal with those emotions because he was winning tournaments. When things don't go well, we know what John Rahm is like. Justin Thomas hasn't really closed anything recently, but playing amazing golf. Dustin mm-hmm. Johnson rounding in form out of the match play. Cam Smith, he could go anywhere in the world and on the moon and win. Scotty yeah. Scheffler seems like all he's got to do is he's show playing up like and the best wins. player in the world, yeah. Brooks Kepka's best is better than anybody's. Same goes for Rory. Um, they, they call this a ball striker's paradise. Colin Morikawa, who strikes it better than him at 20 to 1. Patrick Cantlay. Nobody's talking about Patrick Cantlay, which is usually the case. And that's when the FedEx Cup award winner jumps up and mm-hmm. steals $15 million from everybody. Speed's always an interesting one. Hovland, who's just the darling at every tournament he plays. Shoffley, the same. Not talking about either of them. So yeah. I, I just. You know, I asked that question because somebody is going to steal the center of the conversation this weekend. And now if Tiger's within three shots of the lead, which is something I wouldn't even let my mind entertain. Yeah, I'm not getting there yet. And, and, and no, I'm there now. I, I'm okay. 100%. I, I can't let myself get there. No, my I am, emotions are too good. We get too high. I am there and I will point the finger at Michael Breed. I talked to him yesterday before in pre-production and then during our segment. And he said, Joe... Michael Breed, for those who aren't familiar, is he used to do the golf fix at Golf Channel. He now has a show at CBS called Course Record, and he's he's won PGA Tour. Um, he's won Teaching Pro of the Year multiple times over the last three decades. He is an amazing coach. He breaks down the. He is a swing doctor. He said, "Which Joe, is uh, his rate for a lesson." Um, too much. And I made a joke on air yesterday. I was like, uh, I was like, cause we, I wanted to talk about Tiger's move and sort of yeah. what he was seeing on the range. And I said, remind me, Michael, I do need a half hour, but that's besides the point today. He got a good kick out of it. So, um, he coaches on a Trump ferry point right here. So, you know, it's, po- it's a possibility, but, um, the point I wanted to make was he examined the tiger for the last three days on the range. Um, he did the on the range coverage for masters.com. And he said to me, he goes, Joe, I would not lie to you. 
it's the best I've seen him swing the club outside of 1997. He says his move right now is so effortless that it will not be a matter of if he's hitting it well. He is going to hit it well. It's going to be a matter of how his body feels climbing mm-hmm. up and down the hills for four days. Like what is the – Uh, you know, what's the fluid situation or the inflammation situation in that leg and in his lower back, because we cannot forget that this man has a fusion surgery. Like what, what is his physical state heading into Saturday and into Sunday will decide his success. Not whether he's swinging it well, he is swinging it so amazing right now that if his body does hold up and some putts fall, there is nothing to stop him from being in the conversation on Sunday is the way that he framed it. Like it, it, this is not a this is not a tiger in years past trying to find it at Augusta. It's been mm-hmm. found. It's there. It's a matter of his physical ability to what he can do between the shots is what is yeah. how Breed's kind of looking at it right now, which which was the thing for me that said, well, then why the hell not can why the hell can he not be within three strokes of the lead on Sunday? He's been there 23 times. He knows where to be and where not to be. He knows every angle. He loves this place. He wants nothing more than a sixth jacket to ch- to tie Jack, an 83rd win to move beyond Sam Snead, a 16th major to sniff Jack as he goes to St. Andrews. Like, it's just, it would be, it would be another chapter. What a, chapter two would is already the greatest comeback story in the history of sport, and to put words to it or to wrap our minds around it is going to be tough if it does happen. But I'm saying that, like, I am not ruling it out in my brain the way I was a week ago. It's it, it's become Joe. a re, it's become a reality, and whether that's because I've talked myself into it. Or because that's the reality of the situation, well, that is for you to judge. Yeah, but now you're talking me into it. Because well, there you pro- <laughs> I, I told myself I wasn't going to get my hopes up. And now here we are, getting my hopes up. No, I, the, no, but there's a difference between getting your hopes up. I think we're allowed to get our hopes up because of what we've maybe seen or heard. Yeah. And then the expectation being that. my I have zero expectation for Tiger Woods. If he goes out there and shoots 85-85, I will still be thrilled that, he, that, I, got to, that I got to watch him walk Augusta again because that's not something that we knew was going to happen. You know, I'll still be thrilled that I get to talk about Tiger again at the Masters, 17 months removed from any PGA Tour action, 14 months removed from a near-fatal car accident. Like, it's just we're playing with house money here. And I think Tiger feels that way too. And that freedom as a fan is beautiful if you can reach that. And that freedom as a golfer, well, I think that makes him dangerous in a different way too. Yeah, I'm interested in what you said uh, about the, the you know the, his swing breakdown. How you you use the word effortless when when mm-hmm. uh, Michael Breed was watching his swing, and that makes a whole lot of sense because obviously he just went through a traumatic. You can only ask so much he, of his body right now. Yeah, like he went through a traumatic car accident where he we thought you know he might never walk normally again. But Tiger has now he obviously had changed it over the years with his back, but. He's always had the incredibly violent swing that you know puts a lot of pressure on his legs. Compression, and turn. compression. That's, that's the word point. I'm looking at the for. Ball, Thank you. At the at the at the uh, waist. Yeah, the that knees. is the word I'm looking for. It was for. always about compression. And now, in order to probably listen to his body, in order to make it hold up for walking four rounds, hell, walking 18 holes, you probably had to not necessarily fully go back to the lab, but figure out how to. 
pressure off that back, off those legs, because if he was using, you know, the old swing or even last year before the car accident swing, he's probably not able to do what he's able to do now. So that, that word effortless, and I'm not necessarily getting to some major breakdown point here, but that you, the word to use there effortless when, when watching his swing makes a whole lot of sense because as awesome as Tiger's swing has always been, it's never been fully effortless. It's always been kind of violent and attacking. Uh-huh. And now in order to make that hold up for a walk at Augusta and however many shots he takes over the weekend, he just can't put that pressure on that leg on that lower body because of, you know, obviously what he went through 14 months ago. Um, it's it's going to be a wild ride, and it starts at 1034 on Thursday. Uh, can't wait. It's going to be the most watched Thursday round of Masters coverage or any other golf tournament, I'm sure. Um, schedule accordingly is what I would say because it's going to be must-see television and uh, so thrilled for Tiger to be back um, doing what he does at the place that he does it. And we are lucky to see it. Um, Matt, do you have any any non – we're going to get some picks here, but any non-Tiger storylines that you're dialed into, anything that um, you're really excited to see this week? You know, you were reading, you know, up and down the the contenders before we got into the the, the Tiger breakdown there, and you know, the name that no one's really talking about this week or haven't really heard much of this year that seems like a great fit to get one at Augusta eventually is Morikawa. Mm-hmm. Um, this has always been known as you know a, a second shot golf course, and we've talked at length after he won the British, and you know we talk about his ball striking. He's one of, if not the best, iron players in the world. And if he has a hot week with the irons, and, the, and you know he's feeling it, I know. I know this this year has been, he's been good, but he's had some up and down weeks. Yeah. If we get good Morikawa, he can be lethal on this golf course because we know he can putt. We know he can. I mean, he's not the longest hitter on tour, but this isn't a course that's necessarily known for being. You know, you have to be a bomber. You need to put the put your drives in the right spot. You can hit iron off the tee some places and be in the right spot. And I think Colin Morikawa can do that. If he's on this week, this course fits him his style of play incredibly well. That so that that's a name that I know it's not necessarily a long shot. He's like the eighth favorite to win it. I think twenty to one. But that's a guy who I'm very intrigued to see these first couple of days. Think of this. Colin Morikawa is 25 years old. He, If he puts together four amazing days of golf, he will have three quarters of the career Grand Slam. Like he is – he's that dude. And I know we sort of live in that glow of each win when they happen. But I remember the feeling of him winning the Open Championship last year and saying, well, well holy crap. Like this guy's yeah. got two already. He's 24. He's the best iron player in the world. He's won three of his last six starts or whatever it was at the time. Like this is this is Baby Tiger when we're yeah. trying to assign who Baby Tiger is. Like, but if Colin if Colin wins a third major, a third different major before the age of twenty six, like you know who's done that? Like, there's it's a very short list. Yeah, of people, very short list. And I believe the only name is Tiger. What? So like, it's anytime you continue to like put these major career accomplishments into your trophy case. At that young of an age, it's always, well, it's you and Tiger. Well, it's you, Tiger, and Jack. Well, it's you and Jack. Well, it's you and Tiger. And and those conversations aren't baseless. It's like you are ahead of the pace and showing no signs of slowing down. So it would be huge for his career. It would be huge for his legacy. It would be huge for this pace that he's already gotten out to. Um, I think he can do it, but I do push back a little bit on the idea 
that I think he let me say it this way. I think he does it. I think he wins the Masters someday. And mm-hmm. I think it's the day that he figures out how to navigate the greens because he's yeah. fine off the tee. He's the greatest in the world in the middle of the fairway. It's getting up and down around the greens and making sure that he has confidence in that putter because he does have confidence in that putter, but we're only a couple of years removed from his stroke looking like Will Zalatoris. Like he he's he's found his putter. Mm-hmm. And and they always talk about putting from memory at um, Augusta. He's only got so many experiences out at Augusta to have that feel mm-hmm. in his feet or to know that the putt that looks like it breaks three feet right to left actually breaks a foot left to right. Like all that local stuff that you start to amass. They say years four through seven is your sweet spot at the Masters in terms of when the majority of the wins happen for players. It's through start number four and start number seven. And I want to say this is start number four for more, either three or four for Morikawa. Um, so yeah, I, don't, I, I, I was going to say three, but it might be four. Not necessarily we're, that big of a difference. We're, yeah. we're entering the blast zone um, for mm-hmm. him to do something extremely special and further his legacy. So I love that storyline. I obviously love the Rory storyline of, hey, you get one chance a year, fella. Is it is it this year? Because if mm-hmm. not, we'll see in three hundred sixty four days when it or three hundred sixty one days when it truly matters for your legacy again. So, um, I'm I'm always pulling for roars. I, I would love to see that piece of history come to pass. Um, JT, I know neither of us is going to pick JT because we both want to pick JT. Um, yeah. It's it, he's he's. A, we're a fan of his game. It just feels like he will someday have a green jacket in his locker too. It feels like he belongs at that champions dinner already. It feels like he possesses everything we think of as a champion golfer. Um, there's so many beautiful storylines that are going to all emerge as the week develops. Um, I mean, that's kind of the beauty of today's golf, though, because I mean, we've talked about it uh, to no end on this golf or on this podcast. Like it, it used to be Tiger, Phil. And who's the hot, you know, golfer of the year. And that was kind of it. Mm-hmm. There's so many good golfers right now. And yeah. luckily for us, when Ryder Cup time comes around, most of them are American. But like, there's so many good golfers right now. It's not a two man race anymore. It's not a two man race and see if one guy can get hot. Like I'm looking everybody to, you know, 25 to one where there's where uh, I see Xander, like any one of those guys wins this tournament, I would not be surprised. And like has spent time being considered one of, you know, a top three player in the world. Like that's how good this field is, how the, how good these major fields are. And it just makes it that much more intriguing to watch. Obviously Tiger makes it that much better, but like had Tiger not been in this tournament, there'd still be storylines galore for these top, you know, 10, 15 guys, because there's so many damn good golfers in the world now. And it just makes these, these major tournaments that much more exciting. Uh, before we get to the picks, I think Justin Thomas outlined it beautifully earlier in the week. He said on Monday when they played the practice round that he's never played in front of a crowd that size and nobody saw him hit a single shot. So I think that's what we have. Uh, that's what we have coming down the pipe for us uh, this week is uh, the Tiger Gallery moving about Augusta National Golf Club. It's going to be amazing to watch. Hopefully we get four days of it. But Matt, without further ado, let's get to some picks here. Uh, saddle up with a few favorites. Saddle up with a long shot. Uh, you do your honor, your honor here. Uh, take it away. Who's your favorite uh, to win? And and we define favorite anything shorter than thirty to one. Yeah, I'm going Cam Smith. Um, he's been really good at the Masters and t- uh, top tens in three of his last four Masters. Um, I know he was a runner-up to DJ at the the COVID Masters that one fall, but that 
year he was the, I think he became the first uh, first player to ever shoot under 70 at all four masters. Mm-hmm. I know of course he's playing a little bit differently that weekend, but still um, he's learned how to win. He's great around the greens. He's fine off the tee and with the irons, but like his, his play around the greens, he obviously knows the Augusta greens. Like you said, putting from memory, he's a guy who's had great success putting at Augusta. He is a great putter, which is huge come masters time. And he's having himself a great year. Like he, he won the players. He, I thought, had a very good win at the players bouncing kind of he had the lead kind of gave it away kind of got it back i love the way he's playing i love his success at augusta um i i think this is as good of a chance as he's got to go get a green jacket obviously he's a guy who's going to get a lot more but uh th- this is this is a great chance for him I'm, I'm big on cam smith this weekend yeah uh i, I love that pick He's proven that uh, he enjoys the moment, that he lives in that moment, and mm-hmm. what better setting for the biggest moment of his career? Another guy who uh, I don't know something you gotta you gotta be able to imagine them in the green jacket. Like you gotta be able to see a green. Oh, I jacket. can see that mullet and mustache with the green jacket around it, hundred percent. Also, he like, just he's kind of emerged as like he doesn't get the attention as you know the Roms, DJs, JTs, but like. He's in that upper echelon now. Yeah, he, he's gone from upstart guy. to he's he's there. He's one of those top ten guys now. Uh, my favorite pick for the week is a guy that we've mentioned already that is hating the fact that more people are not talking about him. Brooks Kepka at twenty two to one. Um, I love that value specifically because yeah, it's very Brooks. Valuable. We know is a big game hunter in his own mind. Brooks, we know if he's got a flip, to, if he's got a switch to flip, it happens four times a year. I know he likes to win anywhere, and he likes to um, make his jokes and do what he does. But like, I, I think that as he ages and gets uh, further past that thirty-year-old line and closer to that forty-year-old line, he starts looking at the calendar and saying, "Well, I don't have one of these. I don't have one of those. I don't have one of those. I don't have that." And he he really needs to lock back into whoever that guy was that rattled off two PGAs in a month in a year long span and and um and, and accomplished what he's accomplished at that pace that he was at earlier on in his career. So I think that uh Brooks you'll be fully locked in and at twenty two to one, that's not a number you're gonna see next to his name at most places. I love that opportunity. I love that value. That is my favorite ticket that I will be holding. I like it. I like Brooks I mean I like Brooks every major. He's he's never a bad pick, like you said. He's a guy that sometimes can coast in between, but four times a year, you know, he's like you said, flipping the switch. I hate that phrase in sports, but with some guys, some teams, it's true. He's one of those guys that just seems to really focus zero in, especially at Augusta. He's been, he hasn't won here yet, but he's been really good. Um, he almost spoiled Tigers 2019. So I, I like that pick a lot with some value there. Uh, long shot 50 to one or longer, Matt, where are you taking the people? I was just browsing around PGA tour and, you know, seeing who's, Looking basically iron play stats approaching the green around the green, Russell Henley has had a, a very good year in, in strokes gained. Uh, T or sorry, approaching the green uh, strokes gained. I think he's leading the PGA Tour. He's like top thirty in driving accuracy. He's like top twenty five around the green. I, I wanted to go with a guy who whose iron play was really good and obviously his mm-hmm. has been this year he hasn't been great around the green but he's been right around that top 20 top 30 echelon so like capable of getting hot for a week and at 55 to 1 I, I have i feel very comfortable taking a pretty good iron player at russell henley to have a good week at augusta um i like russ i think that that's a, a nice pick um 
you know, as doing this for a living and and getting to cover these tournaments and working at HQ where we do think about things in from the gambling angle and, and you mm-hmm. doing what you do, it we've gotten to a point where you hear a name and you project it at a tournament and you sort of build the number in your head before you see it. If mm-hmm. you would have told me Russell Henley, I would have told you 80 to 1. So That's I don't lo- I don't I, love the number at 50 to 1, but you yeah. know in working in this industry that tells you that there's yeah. something that the odds makers are seeing that you are not seeing. You I was seldom, expecting him you are around seldom yeah. smarter than the odds maker. So there's I was there's expecting him to be around to 75 to 1 or so and then when I opened, you know, Caesars, he's 55, FanDuel, he's uh-huh. like 50. So I, that that was something telling me like oh sports he's either taking some serious money or sports books like him too or both so that's where I actually like you said value isn't ideally perfect but the fact that the value is why. that low there's a reason yeah. for it yeah um, so I do like that pick pretty sharp uh, when, when you talk yourself uh, around if I'm anything I'm a sharp everybody knows that um, I, I, I'm gonna give you my long shot pick seventy to one. Um, I also have a 65 to one that I'm holding on Abe answer. It's not the pick that I'm giving out, but I do like, mm-hmm. like honest Abe at, at 65. I'm taking Gary Woodland at 70 to one as my long shot pick simply because of the conversation we just had. Can you picture them in the green jacket? I think Gary, I think Gary's got champions dinner written all over him. He's got the pedigree of winning a major at Pebble Beach under his belt already. He's got all those shot shapes. The short game is not world class, let's say, or relative to his competitors. Um, so that could be a hindrance and the reason why we're looking at a number that long. But like just a guy who has no problem with the spotlight, but likes flying under the radar and has a a major under his belt and is sort of in that sweet spot of his career where he can he can flip into cruise control and mm-hmm. still shoot under par. Or, um, I just love Gary and Green, and, and I, I don't think there's anything sharp behind it, but uh, but it's my feel pick here at seventy to one. You know who's a number now? I'm scrolling through the odds while you were talking there, too, and just checking out some of the lower names. Glad you were listening. I, of course I was listening. You said Gary and Green. I can see him <laughs> in Green. Like that, uh, I could see him hosting a Champions Center. I'm not sure. What he seems like a guy who would just have some like Wagyu cheeseburgers, which would be delicious. Um, actually, if I ever won the Masters, that might be my dinner. Uh, another Great. guy, though. What, I, I'm, we've, I'm, done, I'm, we've done oh, We've done. done well, Masters menu before, right? We have. We have. Okay. Um, it was okay. – it's, it never gets old, but at the same time, I think we've done it like twice now. Subtract um, 52 from this episode number and listen to that episode. Yeah, afterwards. there you go. Um, Tommy Fleetwood being at 60 to 1. Uh, I know he – Tommy Lad. Has he won Has he won on tour yet? I don't think he has. Yeah, but Tommy's got uh, – Tommy, Tommy's got like two, two or three one wins. I thought he had – or maybe I was confusing that with Paul Casey when Paul Casey got his first one earlier. But that's neither here Tommy nor there. has – uh, bu- 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 professional wins eight, uh, five Are on the European on tour? tour. No, five on the Euro, one on the Sunshine, one on the Challenge. Two love other. the Sunshine oh, tour. tour wins. Love the Sunshine that's, tour. That's my that's favorite tour. Extremely surprising. So again, that's a, he's got to prove he can win, and maybe the outright isn't the right pick. Maybe a top ten, top twenty might be something for him. But he always seems to play well at Augusta. Like he's always there. He's he, maybe, best finish. Just he, he just he always seems like early on you see his name around there. He usually makes the cut. He's hovering around top twenty a lot. That might be a pick for me that I don't know. I, 
I think he's a good player. I think eventually you know, he's he's going to win a tournament, maybe not a major, but we'll see. I just saw that number at sixty to one, and I think that's some some pretty good value that maybe you could either take that, see him have a pretty good Thursday, Friday, and cash out mm-hmm. and make a little bit of money, or find a top twenty prop that you like with him because if he's sixty to one went out right, his his top twenty is probably going to be pretty solid as well. Um, we hope that these tickets are squarely in play for you come Sunday, but there is no shame in reinvesting uh, at the turn, let's say. Uh, I love love a live ticket, oh, somebody in the mix. have to. Somebody with a chance heading into the weekend that you think is playing good golf, so just a, a little wagering wisdom there. But for myself, it is Brooks and Gary, and for Matt, it is um, – uh, give it Cam, to me again. Who was your Cam favorite? and Henley. Cam, Cam Smith. Cam and Henley. Cam and Henley, Brooks and Gary – uh, tail those. Hopefully, they come through as winners, Matt. Before we move off, are you Matt, are you also on JT? Yeah, I, I mean, okay. I'm. I'm I didn't know if you had any. I'm not. No, I'm not currently. I'm not currently holding the ticket. Um, it doesn't seem to be moving. I think fourteen to one at last check, or is he up to? Yeah, he down he's to twelve. 12. Now. Yeah. Uh, he's twelve. There's not a lot so. of value with him. Saw him at fourteen a couple days ago. Now at twelve. I mean, twelve still a great number for a guy who you could pretty much. I'm sure if you looked at his top ten number, it's close to even money. Oh, I, yeah. That's where the expectation is at for him. So again, twelve to one with a next to guarantee that that ticket's going to be in play on Sunday is something worth a buy. I really do think it is. I I I, I agree with you. I think All he's. Right. Sorry, I was I was I zoned no, you're fine. for a second. I, I, I caught you. I, I caught you in a moment. I you caught, caught me off moment. guard. I was you know, honestly, I was on Caesars and I saw uh-huh. up top of their golf menu. They had something called the Woodland Odds Boost. I don't know if Gary Woodland what? has some sort of deal with Caesars, <laughs> but they're offering an odds boost from plus from seventy to one to eighty to one. You exposed me as just a Caesar shill that I am. Uh, well, no, I, I pulled. Yeah, I pulled it up because <laughs> I wanted to. See, I was. I was looking at some odds there, and I just you know. Where my that's where my Gary Lean came from. No, You're looking for true. a Caesars link, people. Reach out to me. I got you. Uh, take the Muso Mega Boost on the Mega Pod with Mega Gary. Uh, Matt, to dial us back in here, you said we have a Masters mailbag today. Can you can you lead us into that one? Yeah, we do. Uh, friend of the pod, my brother Mike. Um, he wanted us to talk about favorite shots that we'd want to hit at Augusta. So, you know, tee on 13, and not to give away answers, but, you know, teeing off on one, teeing off on 13, like, the favorite shots around the golf course that you would, you know, most want to hit. The most um, iconic shots. I don't know if you want to like go back and forth for a couple, or actually do a draft, or just kind of. I, well, two, two immediately, two immediately come to mind for me. My number one hook, line, and sinker is tee ball at twelve. Yeah, I mean, that's, three. I feel like that's the given no brainer. That's that's it. Yeah, but that, the, but it's the, the no brainer for a reason. That's like we yeah. say they call them favorites for a reason. Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that is the shot. If if you could if you could say Joe, you get to play one par three for the rest of your life, and it's the only golf hole you can play. That's probably my answer. Um, if you say you can walk to Augusta and swing the club once, that's probably my answer. Um, I, I'm not going to move off of it because it's a a favorite mm-hmm. or because it's a low hanging fruit. But Golden Bell, it's a picture that hung in my room my entire childhood. Uh, it is a it's a lifelong aspiration to stand on that tee and just look, let alone play a shot. So that would mm-hmm. be my one one for uh, for shots I'd like to hit at Augusta. I'll let you take next pick because I know that my following pick is not going to be your first overall. Yeah, I don't like. You like that is the overall one one. I don't think that I think that's a no brainer. After that, like I, there's so many great shots on the golf course that I think mm-hmm. like there's there's not a given like next this is the best shot on the course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
I'm going to stick with the par three. 16 um, for me is just that. That's such an iconic hole. There's so many funnel. The tee shot on 16, like yeah. it's such an iconic hole. It's not a. It's not the longest par three. It's I, I love how on Sunday with that Sunday flag, it is. You know exactly where you have to put the ball, and if you put the ball there, you're probably going to make birdie, and you have a chance at all in one. Like it's just it, there's nothing flashy about it it's just an awesome golf hole over water that we've seen so many unbelievable shots at over the years so the tee shot on 16 it's just to stick with the par three and people forget that the most famous shot of all time uh maybe in golf happened at 16 because it's a shot that few play left of 16 mm-hmm. tigers tigers chip like the fact that joe that was going to be a later pick of mine Ty- tigers oh chip. you're gonna say tigers no. chip that, that's I the shot you would want to hit i was thinking about it wouldn't you're telling I, I me if you played Augusta, uh, you wouldn't go drop a ball there yeah i guess you'd have to but, chip, but have you to. also you also have to to push it up against the collar like Which, tigers was because yeah. he made it look like it was just like a beautiful lie that ball mm-hmm. was sitting against the collar um God, so but that that that, uh, that would be an interesting one, no doubt. Uh, a non-traditional pick, so I like it. Sorry, I stole your thunder That's there. That's all right. That's uh, all right. My number two pick, and it's a lot closer to number one than I think uh, you'd assume after I just waxed poetic about the tee shot at 12. The second shot into 15 is one of my favorite shots in golf. That's, that's, um, that's awesome. Par 5, 15th, 550 yards, something like that. Most everybody in the field is going for it in two. You got water in front with everything rolling down to it. Once you get to the apex of the back of the green, you got everything rolling downhill, shaved to water behind. Um, It's another turning point in the tournament where you could get two back on the field with a beautiful long iron shot. Uh, We've seen so many amazing shots there throughout history, whether it was um, Tiger or Gene Sayers. And like moments have happened there as well. And I just think – where you're at on the golf course, knowing that you're coming down the stretch, knowing that the opportunities are starting to wane, like 15 going forward in two is is definitely on my short list. Yeah, because that's a shot that you know down the stretch, like when we're watching the tournament at least, like you gotta, you have to make a move on 15. If you're a guy that's on Saturday or Sunday that, that's chasing uh, you know, one or two shots, you have to come away with at least one under because the guy ahead of you is probably probably already did that as well. I love and that just, shot. That, go ahead. Just this, no, just aesthetically, like it. It's, it's a beautiful golf shot. It's a beautiful golf shot. It's downhill, which is not the case for most things at Augusta. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's just this little jutty of a green that looks like it's maybe three yards deep, and there's nowhere to put this ball. Mm-hmm. And everybody gives it a shot, and we do see some spectacular shots um, on that hole year in and year out that that tee shot too is such a not obviously not the that's not the shot you're talking about you're talking about the second shot but the tee shot to set up that is such a perfect example of it doesn't really matter if you're a huge bomber on this course if you're not on the right part of that fairway like the right mm-hmm. side of it and avoiding that tree kind of that jots out from the left like you're blocked you need to be able yeah. to hit the ball far but also be in the correct spot in the fairway so like the correct half correct third if you want to actually be able to have that shot at 15 which obviously most of these guys can do but it's just it shows you how this course protects itself against length at times um 
I'm going to have to go with similarly to what you said. I hate to keep like following your lead here, par three, second shot on a par five, but the, the second shot on 13, similarly, yeah. you, you got the that creek in front one. of you. You got to make a choice. Um, obviously we've seen so many iconic shots there over the years. I mean, the one that always pops into mind is Phil from the pine straw. And then of mm-hmm. course he missed the Eagle putt from like seven feet. Um, but it, that, that for me is just like, like you said, it, it's, Similar to 15, not quite as downhill, but it's a little bit downhill. It's perfectly a, a long iron go zone. And it's another hole that, depending on what you did on 12, you if you're chasing or if you're in the lead, there's a whole lot of pressure to make at least birdie on that hole because somebody who is in the mix is going to stick an iron and make an eagle putt, and you have to keep up at least with a birdie. It's just – it's they're easy par fives or easier yeah. par fives. I shouldn't say easy par fives. But the fact that they are easier par fives just maximizes the pressure to go out and make a birdie on them at least. And while they're easier par fives, like there are risks involved with every shot. If you're a little bit short, you tug it a little bit to the right on 13, you're in the creek. Uh, Same thing with 15. Like if you are just a little bit short, you drop it off, leave it a little bit to the left. You're going to hit that, you know, the the collar and you're going to bounce right back into the water. There's there's a lot of risk to it, even though the shots themselves are downhill into a par five green long iron. There's a whole lot of risk to it. Yeah, they're total risk reward par fives. Um, uh, Rory said that's his favorite shot on the course. He could drop 13. a thousand. He could, yeah, he could drop a thousand balls in the fairway on thirteen and just never get bored hitting different shots into that green, um, shaping them differently, trying to bring them in from different angles because the green receives it so differently in different it, it spots. Was, and it was fun. Now that you bring this up, I don't. When we were there a couple of years ago for the the Tuesday practice round, they have a uh, a grandstand on the left side of the fourteenth tee. So mm-hmm. it's a, you get to see people teeing off on 14, but you also get to see the tee shots coming up 13 and their approach shots in. And it's funny you mentioned that, that Rory can loves dropping a ball and, you know, hitting different spots because it depends, depending on where you hit it, you know, the, the green receives it in different spots. They're all four guys or all, however many guys were watching. I remember specifically Tommy Fleetwood, but like obviously we watched a few groups. They're all doing the same thing. Like they, they hit yeah. the tee shots and it's drop another one. We want to hit one back left here. Drop another one. We want to hit one front right. Like it was, yeah. it's because that green is so different and so unique that it, it was a massively fun place to watch and see people how they approach that 13th green, depending where different pins are. And it's just, it is the epitome of a hanger lie, too. Like it doesn't matter how far down there you hit it. DJ said it yesterday. He goes, that ball's going to be above your feet. It feels like it's at your waist mm-hmm. and you're trying to hit a long iron into this green and shape it the right way with the ball way above your feet. So I think it makes a lot of guys uneasy too. Um, Couple honorable mentions for me. Uh, I have three tee shot at 18, obviously whatever that represents, but just up the shoot at 18, um, just a nerve wracking tee shot there. I would say again, going back to a par five uh, second hole, the approach shot that always reminds me of Louis Oost. Yep. Um, with the double eagle there, I mean, you hit the right part of the front end of that green, and if that pin's in the back right, it's trickling all the way down there, and it's that, here it comes, here it comes. Mm-hmm. And anything that gives you that um, on a golf course or, or, or from a viewing experience, um, absolutely love it. And then my last honorable mention was anything around the green at nine. I think nine is such an underrated mm-hmm. hole, um, that green that's thin and runs – Back to front, a um, lot of cool different pin placements there. Anything chippy, nippy around the green there at number nine, I think, same as Rory. I could drop a bucket of balls around that green and just have so much fun chipping it at it. 
I think for me, there's there's two that jump out to mind, and I, I'm not surprised you didn't pick either of them because they're much more lefties paradise type holes. Mm-hmm. But the tee shots on ten and two, just the okay. big downhill yep. dog leg to the left that kind of if, if you hit a little cut like most people the, try to off the driver. Play. If you can, yeah, exactly. It also lets <laughs> lets the miss play a little bit. But like if if you catch one as a lefty off those tees and you hit the little baby cut you want to, like that thing's going to fly and it's going to roll. And obviously the approaches into those holes are both absolutely you said ten beautiful. and what? Ten and two. Ten and two. Okay. Ten and two. Yes, very yes. Yeah. Very similar tee shots. Obviously two is the par five. Ten's a par four. But similar tee shots. Dog leg left downhill. And if you catch one, it's gonna it's going to fly and it's going to roll. And the approach shots, I think, on both of those holes differ. Like, obviously, Louis is the one that pops in the head on two, but 10 has that massive bunker up front that you kind of, it's not right up front, but if you, for some of these guys, actually, you hit the ball too far off the tee, it's, it's kind of right in front of you. But I think it's just a very beautiful, scenic hole kind of tucked in the back there with the, with the great layout, uh, the bunkers laid out with the tree, kind of the tree fort around the green. Um, for me, that's a, uh, those two tee shots are, right up there for obvious reasons and then i don't know one at augusta as well for the same reason you said 18 at augusta like Mm -hmm. it's it's number one at augusta national what it represents yeah the guys are like we we don't get the angle that often but i remember we did get the angle um during the november masters i believe it was where you could see with like no patrons around it how close one and ten t's are to the actual clubhouse like oh yeah they're right there kind of you're kind of on the patio right there Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I remember, I think 10 when we got there was the first tee shot we saw, and it was like, oh my God, like that's number 10. That's so cool. That guy's uh, literally checking out for like a dozen balls right now. <laughs> another honorable mention for the same reason you said the tee shot on 18, but the approach shot on 18. Give yeah. me, give me Angel Cabrera's that, approach in the driving rain on 18. That'd be, that'd it's be a, a fun shot, shot that I have. know uh, that. I love to watch because, again, what it represents in the tournament mm-hmm. it is probably the shot that I'd least like to hit on that golf course. It would be like 180 yard uphill. Oh, whatever. Be, it's Sixers. a really like, tough golf you're, shot. You're dead. You're dead. Bunker, you're bunker dead. up front, which you're is dead. kind of protecting it. Like, yeah, you 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 got to carry everything. You're absolutely. Dead. I think that would be one of the least. That would be one of the least fun shots to hit. Uh, if we're going back to the core of the uh, actual mailbag question, so I'm not sure I'd want to drop one in the middle of the fairway at 18. The real answer, though, people, is all of them. I would love to hit all, all of, them. of them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it, and I do ask that you know we. Um, we actually scrub this whole segment here and we redo it because we need to be referring to them by their names. Oh, um, I think, sorry. I think, uh, well, I'm yeah. not going to do that, but no, you're not going to do that. So, cause no. I gave you a little golden bell right off the bat. Um, I know there's Azalea. Pink, pink dogwood and Camellia. Those are my two. Pink dogwoods too. I know pink dogwood is two. Azalea is 13. Um, golden bell is 12. I'm trying 16 to remember what, is like, red bud. What's the stretch there? Because Golden Bell's 12 in the middle of Amen Corner. Yeah. Um, what are the two other in Azalea? 11 is, 11 11? is White Dogwood. Okay. Um, 13 is Azalea. Oh, and okay, I just pulled it up. 15 Number is 15. Firethorn. What a that, name. That makes me like 15 even what more. What a name. Fire that's, a, that, that's great value there. Great that value might be, yeah, you. that might be the best name on the course. Firethorn. I love um, it. Matt, I'm just jacked up. Yeah, like I think we just had the same moment right there. I'm just so freaking jacked up. It is 
it's my favorite four days on any sporting calendar. Um, but we are coming out of what was a great tournament, and we need to um, sort of put the finishing touches on that. Kansas, the national champion, after overcoming 15 points at half, 16-point lead at worst. Um, you know, I, I know tough um, carrying the, the UNC fandom that you do yeah. uh, to, to watch that go down. What were, what were your emotions as that all transpired? You know, honestly, when Carolina was up 15 and a half, I had no doubt in my mind that that was going to be a game down the stretch. There was zero chance that Carolina was winning that game in a blowout. I mean, Kansas we, saw, had been, we, saw, that, we yeah. saw it against Baylor. Like, we saw them stop playing in the second half. It's it, And also, Kansas, the other way around has been like, I mean, they, we saw their them second come back half Miami. They yeah. came back against Miami. They had the, the huge second. They didn't need to come back against, uh, what was it? Not Iowa State. Um, Providence. Whatever. There was another big second half that I'm blanking on that they had. But, like, they were a second-half team throughout team throughout the tournament, highlighted by that Miami one. You just you knew they were going to come back. And I think what happened was UNC finally ran out of gas. I mean, that was – they had Caleb Love turn an ankle. Armando Baycott was playing on a sprained ankle. Uh Brady Manick got elbowed in the face twice in the first half and turned an ankle on the last play. I think that last play was drawn up for him and that he he turned his ankle. Um, Puff Johnson was throwing up on the floor. Uh, The only one who didn't seem to get hurt was RJ Davis, who was kind of their iron man and running the offense, the whole, the whole tournament. So he had to be gassed. Like I think what happened was pretty much Carolina's depth not or lack of depth finally showed up and they still had a chance to win. I mean, they had the ball, with a shot to tie the national championship game with three seconds left with that starting lineup. And it it was like, obviously I was disappointed they didn't win, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like the Villanova loss where I had like my heart ripped out for me. And it was like pure heartbreak. That one was like, you know, that was, that was such a fun tournament. They beat Duke. That was farther than they had any business going. And like, that was a pretty awesome run to watch those five. And that was, that's kind of what everyone's been saying here. And I agree with it wholeheartedly we're going to remember Duke, North Carolina just as much, if not more than we remember Kansas winning and beating North Carolina. It's one of those events where uh, the penultimate game was so epic in what it meant in uh, the lead up to it, in uh, putting a career to an end um, that I think there's more memory. There's more of a memorable factor to that game than there was even to the championship game. And, you know, it was a close game. They did get out to a great start. They did fall asleep. But, like, you can't tell me that the team wasn't still a little emotionally on empty uh, after the Duke-North Carolina game. I think they came into this one and sort of got themselves up for it. And then maybe I think they, they emptied the tank in the first half. Like, I think they, 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 take they, a deep, they played yeah, their best half a, of basketball. and You take a deep breath at half, and then you just don't come out of the locker room and poof, yeah. a 15-point lead is down to one in less than six minutes. Um, it, it's... Uh, it's a tough pill to swallow anytime you get that close and you don't get it done. But like you said, I think the season will be remembered from a North Carolina standpoint for so many things other than just losing in the national title game. Um, an eight seed, not playing great, uh, really came together. For me, uh, like strip away the moment, strip away the pomp and circumstance, strip away, oh, we beat Duke, we're emotionally your best player cannot shoot four for 25 yeah i mean that was and it. expect I mean, to win that's like, been that's been their story all year and especially in tournament caleb love kept rolling the dice and it, it kept coming up his you know his way he was having bad second halves but he'd get hot in the first half and they needed caleb love to get hot in the second half given you know baycott's injury and manic not being 100 percent there with the probably 
probably concussion, um, yeah. but we won't get there. But then he, he couldn't, he couldn't find it. He ran out of gas and the, the, the shots weren't dropping. I mean, they were, <laughs> the, the, the buzzer beater was a perfect one. example. Like it did, it, it was like a foot left. It wasn't close. Yeah, it really was. Um, they were, uh, they were drawing that last one up for manic. If you see it, he kind of, he falls yeah. kind of past the screen, but like everyone's saying, Oh, he would have been wide open. It would have been manic shot. It still would have been like a 64 yeah. foot. He might've been open, but like, it still would have been an insane shot. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh no, before this got even, before this yeah. got even getting the ball, there Oh, getting the ball over there. And it, it yeah. was, it wouldn't have been, it would have been a, uh, but an amazing pass. Uh, massive, massive applause to Hubert Davis, uh, what he accomplished here. I mean, they were they were asking for his job, uh, the fan base, a few weeks into the season after a couple embarrassing losses, and um, he kind of stares that right in the eye and, and comes and brings his team to um, the doorstep of being the last team standing. So uh, a huge congratulations to North Carolina and to uh, Hubert Davis. But, you know, it, this is this is Kansas's show. And we said pre-tournament who had the easiest run at it. Everybody Kansas. said Kansas. They beat who they had to beat. And um, they're a national champion. And, and Bill Self ascends to that level of coaching immortality where, you know, having one's nice – having two makes you uh, makes you sort of float a little bit. Kind of all time, um, that, yeah. Yeah, so uh, he definitely takes a step forward in his legacy. But um, yeah, for I, someone I who is a – for someone, I, I was just going to kind of back off one of my stances here, which I tend to do from time to time. Um, that happens. For someone who is as critical and maybe uh, pessimistic about the entire sport of college basketball – this tournament showed me so many reasons why I am, why I don't like the game all that much, but it also gives me what it gives me every year. And it's like, well, I love this damn tournament, man. Like this, the tournament always provides moments and it always provides multiple moments Mm -hmm. in a condensed time frame. It's like, Sometimes you get two buzzer beaters in a day. Sometimes you get coach K, uh, you know, not being able to, get by a rival sometimes you get this sometimes it just it never ceases to entertain and i can't be negative about a tournament that offers this much entertainment because for me that's what it's about and yeah it's tough on a wednesday in the middle of the season to watch two teams shoot at 30 percent but just but just get me to tournament time and i and i swear i'll love you just as much as anything else yeah like like the tournament is it's college basketball's best friend and also like biggest enemy because like I said, I love the NCAA tournament. I watched not every game obviously, cause that's impossible. But like I, I at, when the tournament was on, I had my TV tuned to it and I, it was on mo- like 90% of the time there was, there were games on air, but at the same time, because of, because of how awesome the tournament is, it makes it almost impossible to start watching college basketball in November when they're doing, you know, college football it's, playoff it's rankings. Product. Like it's just, it, it, I don't want to, obviously the, the regular season means something because you need to win enough games and, and have enough big wins to get yourself into the tournament. But like, there's really like when, when Carolina, obviously this year is different, like Carolina beat Duke 10 the season. And that was coach K's last you wanted that. But like when Carolina beats Duke in the first matchup in February or vice versa, like it's like, Oh, okay. Great. Well, tournament yeah, okay like does it really like purdue had big wins you know a huge win over u of i at the time at home and it's like oh that was cool but like it means absolutely like for the number three team in the country that means absolutely nothing i think you're touching time. on something very important here 
college basketball is reliant on the moment. The game yeah. itself cannot stand alone and be that great of a product. I'm, it, it just can't. Like mm-hmm. it, it requires the tournament and you know the finality of everything that that means. It requires a legendary coach having his last game at home mm-hmm. and losing to his rival. It requires that same coach getting a rematch in the final four. It requires even conference tournaments for me, four. like a Buzz Williams type team making a run that had no chance to make the, the conference tournaments will even go to as well. But like the, just the moments in the regular season. Yeah, you're right. Like it, I don't want to say it devalues the regular season, but like it just kind of does like the, the, a lot of those no, games it, are it, I'm not, it, I don't not think meaningless, but kind of meaningless. Yeah, it makes it it makes you look at the regular season for what it actually is, and it's yeah. just something to fill the time when football ends. Yep. That, that's kind of what it feels like. And again, not to go bad on college basketball because thank you for the moments, thank you for the tournament, but um, I, I think the sport does have an issue in terms of uh, in really capturing that audience or or taking the audience that they capture during tournament time and retaining them at the beginning of next season. I think that is, that is something oh, that um, they can hopefully, do a lot Hopefully NIL, I, I think, could benefit college basketball, not necessarily for the top end, you know, five stars, but for the, you know, two-year starter, one-year starter that is given a, you know, end-of-the-first-round valuation might be like, you know what, actually, with some NIL money, if I come back, I have a good year. Next year, I can be a top-10 guy or something like that. Maybe, hopefully, NIL persuades those guys who are going to the pros because they just got an evaluation of they're going to be drafted and they need some money to, actually, if I stay here, I'm going to make a little bit of money and jump up. So that maybe that's optimistic thinking, but, like, college basketball felt so much better when we were kids because you had – the guys staying two or three years, you got to know the players. And that's part of yep. the reason I don't get into college basketball is because last, you know, 10 years ago, if this was North Carolina starting lineup, I'd know for sure three of the five are going to be back. And I'd know, you know, Puff Johnson or whoever is going to be come off the bench. He's going to be a starter. I know four <laughs> of their five starters next year. I have no, like there's, I think uh, yeah. Manic and um, Leaky Black are, are likely the, are the two seniors. I think they're gone, but like, I don't know if Baycott's going to be bad. I don't know about any of these guys. And in years past, I would know like these guys are in the starting lineup next year. So just the familiarity um, with players just changes every year so dramatically. We need to we need to get Puff Johnson in the gym and do a little conditioning this season. I know. Hey, I know no, he, played, he got elbow. Joe, extended, that's why he threw up. He got he the played extended minutes for the first time all season and was throwing up with. 90 seconds left in the freaking national gym. What was we, wild just, too is like you he just was can't have that. unbelievable half. Like he he kept them in that half. Like he yeah. took the big charge. He had a big three. He had some big baskets. Just and they just oh he's he's that's yep that's 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 throw up. Just absolute gas. Yeah. yeah, and I, I don't know because uh, you know Nance is working off a small Nance covered for him. him good. He's <laughs> more just what well, yeah goes. I'm not sure uh, what. Uh, I'm not sure what that fluid is. We're hoping he's all right. It's, it's vomit, Jim. Yeah, I don't know if it was Nance or if it was Grant Hill, but he's like, yeah, it looked like he took like an elbow to the stomach there and he got the wind knocked out of him. Yeah. That's what caused like, him to throw up. No, I think he's just fucking no, he's tired and running throwing him up, up and down the floor. And this is the most he's played in months. Yeah. Um, but a hell of a tournament, tournament. hell of a tournament, uh, hell of a result. Congratulations to the Kansas Jayhawks. We'll see you guys next tournament um matt we got some other things to get here uh, some housekeeping before we close up shop um nba i think i think it's only right that we that we dance a little bit and uh we just so happen to be dancing on lebron's grave um lakers mathematically eliminated on wednesday night excuse me tuesday night 
um, with their loss to the Suns. It is officially the losingest season by a LeBron James-led team, already with 48 losses. Uh, they were second favorites to win the championship at most sportsbook coming into the season. Uh, they not only don't do that, they don't make the playoffs. They don't make the play-in. LeBron James misses the playoffs for the fourth time in his career, uh, missed the playoffs year one and year two, then missed the playoffs three years ago with his first year in L.A., and just missed the playoffs again. Um, I don't want to go too big picture here. LeBron's legacy is cemented. We know what he is. We know who he is. Um, but this is not This is not good. Um, this does not no. reflect well upon him. I, I'm sure it will not be one of the things we remember in 30 years when we're looking back on LeBron's career. LeBron haters will likely bring it up. Um, but I don't know. Just the optics of sitting on the bench in sunglasses while you're season ends then you walk off like middle of the fourth quarter too while they were losing yeah the tunnel. It, it like, just like, it's just tough um but i'll ask you this way where did it go wrong i know you know you know I, i'll i'm gonna i, I think that's I'm gonna a very pat, easy I'm gonna, answer actually i'm gonna pat myself on the back here and the second i saw this roster whenever it was going crazy like oh they're gonna run shit. it's all the guys they're yeah they're old but it's fine they're gonna add a shooter and they're gonna be this they're gonna be that i was like i don't see it i don't believe it this is not a good team. And I think the answer you were about to give is yeah, because of the, I was going to say when they traded Russell, Russell Westbrook, Westbrook like that's, that's because not only was he not at all a fit for this team, like LeBron, for whatever reason, like, I don't know if he, if he trusts veterans more or something, but like it was a big name that he was familiar with and that on paper looked very good, but like he was nowhere near a fit for what this they team gave and up it, to go get him. I, it just seems like every year, like, the answer is very easy for like, it would be going back to the Cavs, like LeBron's teams need a shooter and they just, they didn't really go out and do that. They went out and got like a Malik Mello. Monk, but like <laughs> yeah, they got Carmelo Anthony, who's a yeah king of the mid range. Like they got Malik Monk who, I don't know. That's that, that, that's not the shooter you need. Like he said, let's go spend our money and our, our capital on Russell Westbrook. And that was something everybody knew was gone. was not going to work. It was just, um, so yeah, that, I think that's everybody knew it too. Like when they went out and got him, and everyone was and saying, "Hey, this is problem. what's going on." And then LeBron said, "You know, keep my team's name out of your mouth. Like keep all the motivation, yeah. motivation for us." And we will. We got nothing. To, we got nothing to say about you anymore because yeah. you're not relevant. Don't need to talk to you. You are going to watch the playoffs. Go make another movie in the off season. Whatever you got to do, but. You know, year 19, averaging 30-plus points per game, absolutely unbelievable. Applause are in order, but to what avail? You know, to, to what avail are you still hanging around? Is it to average 30 or is it to lead teams to championships because this team didn't have it? And yeah. the problem with next year's team, even if you tear the whole thing down and reconstruct around LeBron and AD, well, you're reconstructing around LeBron, AD, and Russ, because he's yeah, got a player he's, option. He's there. He's got a player option for, I believe, $46 million next year, and he is not seeing that money anywhere on this planet other than in L.A. because he's contractually bound to it. So I don't know what sort of magic they can work in getting him out of town, but Russell Westbrook is still your problem next season, more likely than not. Yeah, like I don't know who's taking on that money. I, I don't see any small market team being like, yeah, come on board, we'll pay you that. Um it seems they were like saying, they're kind of locked into those. And then you're also just you're relying on Anthony Davis to be healthy for a long time, which just isn't going to like, – I love Anthony Davis. He's a very good basketball player, but you can't rely on him to be healthy for 75 games. It's just not going to happen. 
Uh, Bulls suffer their, I don't know what, 78th consecutive hey, loss. Hey, the they Bucks. clinched playoff berth. We're back. But they clinched hey, a Bulls playoff berth. Thank Bulls you to the Orlando Magic. Um, uh, Orlando Magic Twitter team deserves a uh, tip of the cap as well, coming mm-hmm. out with a Joe Kim. Uh, nobody's been to Cleveland on vacation uh, clip last night. That was love when that reference kiss. comes up. It's just great every time. Any Anytime we can get that clip in, uh, it's great. But Bulls break the drought um, five years or six years long, um, getting back to the playoffs. It doesn't look like they're equipped to make no. any major noise in the playoffs. And they're going to uh, get the box of the, the Sixers in round one mostly, and that's just yeah. Those are the two and, teams you didn't want to see in the first round. Okay, so so it's going to be it's going to be just blatantly obvious what they're missing when they play one of those two teams, and I think that's a big man presence. Um, mm-hmm. Vooch does not play that way. He has not been good. He has not been efficient. Yeah. Uh, He's been better than what we've seen in the past, so yeah, but as we now shift our focus to, okay, we're a playoff team now, how do we go from being a playoff team to an actual contender? Karnaschovas has got to be on the phone with his old pal, Nikola, and he's got to try and convince him, hey, we know know you got another year on your contract there, we know you are a, um, a good guy and you'd never do anything to disrespect anyone. Start making some noise. Start ruffling some feathers because it's time for you to do what all these other stars do and say, I want to be here. And that here needs to be Chicago. Yeah, if he's in Chicago next year, I, I, I still think um, Vooch obviously not being the guy we thought he was hurts a lot because we did think we were getting the the all-star center and when it really just turned out to be was the best player on a the really guy, bad team. Yeah, the guy from Orlando who fills it up when it doesn't yeah. matter because, like, yeah. hey, he's never played in a game in the month of April that actually matters. He's never played in a game in the month of May that actually matters. I, I love uh, – Iodesumu Desumu is really nice, but, like, Iodesumu Desumu is just – he's a bench player, and, like, he's a bench point guard, and that's okay. They need to go out and get themselves a – they need to get – Lonzo healthy, which is probably the most important part, or another, um, like another option at the point guard because they, they, when Lonzo went out, they, they just didn't really have that option. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I think they, they. Long story short, they need Lonzo Ball to be healthy. So having him just sit out the rest of the year, shut down, is probably the best choice of action. Just get completely right. Uh, I also think that like major change could be on the way and. In talking with some people that are looped in in Chicago and around the league, um, Zach might be used as a chip to get a big name here. Um, I don't know that Lonzo is a long-term answer in Chicago is another thing that I heard, um, whether that be with health. Um, I think that a lot of people have question marks surrounding um, if he can stay healthy and what those need, the, the, the actual uh, – condition of those knees moving forward so i think we could see some major change moving forward again but i I just i feel so much better than i have in years past not just because of the outcome but because of who's running the team and i I think that uh arturis has really in the first couple years here turned this thing around almost immediately and he deserves our trust and he deserves our patience and i'm gonna give that to him yeah i agree like he's he's given us no reason to not trust him at this point so i i'm all on board with him uh, Matt, you got anything else for the people? Uh, I don't. Let's go watch. A, let's let's go get ready for the Masters. That's a Megapod for you. Um, yeah, that was a Masters Megapod. Masters Megapod. Again, uh, enjoy the week. It, it only comes once a year. We hope that Tiger's in the mix. We hope that your bets come through. Um, and we hope that 
a, a worthy a worthy winner slips into that green jacket on Sunday night. Well, anybody who wins a green jacket is going to be worthy of it. So I don't know. I, I don't doubt. It. I don't want to. I don't want to open up this door and like besmirch the name of Danny Willett. But like, sometimes you get a weird one, and, and I'm hoping you know, it's but not but a for weird that, one. But for that weekend, he was worth it. Like that weekend, he was. Yeah, but then like his jerk brothers on Twitter and rubbed it in everyone's face. Like it was. I, give me. Give me someone in the top 25 of the official world golf rankings or Tiger Woods. Those are my criteria. Or Russell Henley or Gary Woodland. <laughs> or, or Russell Henley or Gary Woodland. I think Gary yeah. might be close to 25. I don't know. Yeah, he's probably uh, around but, there. He's probably hovering But there. with that, for Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musa. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Moose and Runes podcast. This episode 248, a Masters Megapod. Go forth. Enjoy the action. But for now, he's Matt. I'm Joe. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Kicking on the state was phenomenal. <laughs>